I'm Ray Abruzzo. I played Little Carmine on The Sopranos. You're listening to Pada Bing. I'm Vic Singh, and you're listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that breaks down every episode of The Sopranos one at a time. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get shows. And if you like what we're doing, please spread the word. If you'd like a pictorial and caption companion to the podcast, follow at Potabing on Instagram. And as always, thank you for listening and being a part of this journey. Coming up is my conversation with Ray Abruzzo. Ray joined me in studio to talk about his experiences working on The Sopranos, playing Little Carmine, later work, including working on the Amazon series Transparent alongside Jerry Adler, the actor who played Hesh on The Sopranos, and much more. Ray had great insights and served them up with zero malaprops. Great, fun, honest, introspective guy, and I'm so glad we got the chance to talk. So here it is, my conversation with Ray Abruzzo. So, Ray, thank you for being here. My pleasure. So you were in a lot of TV pre-Sopranos and post-Sopranos. How has the medium evolved since Dynasty and Practice to Ray Donovan and Transparent more recently? Well, if you look at the shows that you mentioned, post there really is a pre-Sopranos, post-Sopranos television world. Like BC. It's com- exact BS, yeah. <laughs> Before Sopranos. Right. Yeah. It really did change everything. Because when you had a character like uh, Tony Soprano, brilliantly played by, of course, Jim Gandolfini, I don't think it would have happened without him, where you had a, a hero, your main character, who was so deeply flawed, but somehow you were rooting for him in, in an odd way. You never saw that on TV before. You know, maybe you'd have a divorced father or something. But, right. But since then, that allowed Mad Men, that allowed Ray Donovan, Breaking Bad, trans- every show after that was only possible because of what happened with The Sopranos. Yeah. For sure. So how did The Sopranos happen for you? What's the backstory? It's, it's actually a great backstory. God, I couldn't even tell you how many years ago, maybe. Because well, I want to say... 20 years ago, but when I realized The Sopranos started 20 years ago. The pilot, ago. yeah. So it was way before that. Sometime in the early 90s, I did an episode of a TV show called Pros and Cons with um, James Earl Jones and Richard Crenna. They had a lot of trouble casting this one character who was a comedian, and uh, I auditioned about five times just for a guest star part, and I finally got it. But the episode was written by Frank Renzulli. It was his first TV episode that he wrote. So I got that part, and I was basically playing Frank Renzulli. So then he was writing on The Sopranos for the first season. So he'd always kind of bring up my name. And then Terry Winter got hip to who I was. And then Frank left the show. But Terry, you know, it stayed in Terry's mind. Of and then he'd throw my name out there, throw my name out there. And then they called me to audition, well, to put myself on tape for the part of the guy that did the drug intervention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On, yeah. On, on Christopher. Right. Uh, played beautifully by, um, oh, God, I can't think of his name now. But he was great. It was a one-episode deal. Yeah. And I didn't get it. And they said, no, they really liked you. And I So thought, you read for that first? I read for, before I put myself Carmen. on tape. Okay. And in those days, it was on VHS tape. Yeah. And you'd have to send it via FedEx to New York by 4.30. So it was really rushed. Yeah. So I didn't get it. And they said, oh, but they're thinking of you for something else. And I thought, yeah, sure. I've heard that a million times. And now, not to cut you off, but are you a West Coast guy? Like, 
No, I'm born and raised in New York, right. but I've been living out here. Well, you were in out LA. Here for that. I was living. Yeah. Because what I've heard just in doing this project is that uh, there was a bias towards East Coast guys. Totally. So, like, was that working against you? Well, I thought perhaps it might have been. Um, I think I was, I might have been the only series regular ever cast off tape. Yeah, wow, okay. <laughs> off, a pre, uh, off a self-tape. So a couple of weeks later, they said that uh, David wants you to read for this other part of Little Carmine. And I read the description, and it said, Little Carmine, anything but little, upwards of 350 pounds, sweating profusely with a twitching eye or something like that. And I thought... There's no way I'm getting there, you know. And I called my agent. I said, I'm not right for this. And they said, no, David wants you to give it a shot. So I thought, well, I have to do something to make this mine. So I had to set up a camera on a tripod with a monitor, and I had to wait for my girlfriend to be driving by so she could read the off-camera stuff because it had to get into FedEx by 4.30. Yeah. So I memorized it really quick, and I just thought, I'm going to take a chance, and I just mispronounced Versailles as Versailles. (laughs) (laughs) And apparently when they were watching the tape, he just thought that was hysterical. And he said, you know, that's the guy. And that gave birth to all the malaprops. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to take complete credit for it because the writing is so brilliant. Yeah. But uh, it, it perhaps... That, that was a trigger. That was a trigger, I think. Wow, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah. So, I mean, they told me, they had given me some back, you know, backstory that he was kind of full of himself. Yeah. That he thought he was more than he really was, you know, so I just... I just ran with that. Amazing. And how soon after you sent it? You got it to FedEx on time, obviously. It was literally... 4.29 p.m. It was unbelievable. Because it was on... In those days, I borrowed a camera, and it was on a compact VHS. Then I had to transfer it to a regular VHS, and then drive up to the FedEx, and the guy was coming out of the store, and I just, boom, handed it to him. And, and from that moment to when you got the phone call... God, it's hard to remember. It's so many years ago. Uh, it was pretty soon, certainly within a week. A few days. Yeah, yeah. How many other? But it was only supposed to be two episodes, too. That yeah, was the yeah, other thing. And they ended up being sixteen. Sixteen or seventeen, yeah. I think. Yeah. How many other little carmines were on the table that you're aware of? Oh, I well, it's interesting. I don't know if you've seen the Green Book, have you? Mm-hmm. Well, you know that the Vigo Mortensen character it, it's based is on Tony, Tony Lip. Lip. Yeah, it is. And his Tony son Lip. wrote the movie. His right? son wrote the yeah. movie, and his other son Ray read to play Little Carmine. Ah. So, His other son was actually in the funeral of yes, Carmine. Yes, he, he was, was one of the mourners. Right. Yeah. Right. But he had read for he had read to play the son of his father, and, and I, I I don't know how many people they saw. I'm, I'm sure they saw them. You know, everybody at that point, the show was such a huge hit. Yeah, this is Every, season four. Season four. So yeah. everybody, you know, had already won so many awards, so everybody was, knew about it. So I was it was. I'm sure a lot of people read for it. And were you a fan of the show before? Yeah. Like, well, I watched the first... Oh, of course, okay. yeah. I mean, I watched the first few seasons, and then there was that episode where uh, Joey Pants, Ralphie, kills that young stripper girl. Yeah, and I I've thought, had her on the podcast oh, as well. she's... Ariel I, Kiley. Yeah. I thought she was amazing. She was fantastic. She was fantastic. One episode, and, one epi- and we still talk about her 20 uh, years later. Completely. Yeah. She was so endearing, and that just broke my heart. And I, yeah this was kind of tough and I kind of was off the show for a little bit until then they asked me to be on it. Then, and then you just, <laughs> and I went back everything and I, goes under the rug. And now I watch it again. I just recently, because you know, they had the 20th anniversary yeah. and they were running the, uh, they were running the it on HBO and you know, I would just sit there and go, oh, man, I, I was actually separated from it, yeah. especially the early ones before I was on. I was yeah. just watching it as a, as an audience member. I'm thinking, man, this is good. Yeah. This is really good. And then, then I was on, I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know that episode that you mentioned with um, Ariel Kylie. A lot of fans um, unsubscribed from yes, HBO. Yeah, it was yeah. a very controversial yeah. sort of like stuff going on in the air because of that episode. Well, I had heard that David Chase did that on purpose 
because he thought people were getting too enamored with these guys. Exactly. Which I thought was such an interesting, bold move on his point. These he are not lovable teddy bears. People were rooting for these guys too much and forgetting that they were really bad guys, you yeah. know? Yeah, and so, t- in some weird way, like, what I guess what fans do, and you, you're kind of privy to this, seeing it from the other side, but you project the character onto the real-life the real life James Gandolfini. Totally. And he's nothing like nothing Tony like Soprano. That. And so it, how you go from that to that, uh, to your regular life, has got to be overwhelming it, it, and it, stressful. It and, is interesting. I'll tell you a quick little uh, story. I remember after I was on the show, just briefly, I was walking down... Uh, Columbus Avenue, I think it was in New York, and I had my glasses on, you know, looking more like me and less like little Carmine, and uh, Stevie Van Zant's walking towards me. So I say, hey, Stevie, uh, and he sorry, I said, Ray, and he looks at me, I say, I play little Carmine. He goes, oh, you look too fucking intelligent to be little Carmine. <laughs> <laughs> so even he, am I allowed to say that on yeah, the show? Yeah, of oh, course. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Sopranos podcast. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. How could you not say it? Yeah. I'm surprised I didn't say it sooner. That's that's funny. So he was in character. He well, well, he just didn't recognize me with my glasses. He just saw yeah. me as little Carmine, and you know, he just he always called me the Norm Crosby of the mob. That was his favorite thing. You read for the intervention guy. Did you right. read for anything else? No, was that was it. it. That okay. was it. Um, what's your take on little Carmine? Who was he? Well, you know, I, I went through some changes when I first was playing him. I kind of saw him as Fredo that thought he was Michael. You know, that was my, ah, okay. that was my first. That's how you wrapped your brain when around I first, him. When I first read it, you know, he was the son. And then after that, I just let the writing take me, you know, because the, Terry Winter and those guys just wrote the greatest, greatest stuff. So, um, you know, he spoke with the malaprops and he wasn't always that articulate. But if you really look at what he was saying, he was usually pretty right on. There were truisms. They there, were no always what. truisms. Yeah. You know, he might have used the wrong words, mispronounced the words. But he was really always right, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's very Maybe true. he spoke a little too long. Yeah. You know, there's that famous sit-down yeah. where I'm making peace with everybody. And then right. I say you know, to Phil, well, your brother Billy, whatever happened there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, everything was going swimmingly until, until he, he just goes a little too far. But, uh, you know, even till the end, if you, if you jump ahead even to the last episode when they're sitting around the, the uh, diner. Yeah. And uh, AJ says to Dad, well, you told me, you know, it's important to what's happened with family. Remember the little things. Remember the little things, these yeah. moments. And that reflects back to a conversation I had with Tony at the golf course two seasons earlier where I say, well, it's not about being boss. boss. It's about being happy. Yeah. You know? And to, to uh, Tony's dismay, he's actually kind of a little resentful of yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Because, or your character, I should say, because you found happiness outside of outside that thing. Outside of that. Outside of that thing. And it's available. Yeah. And that was important to me, my family and my happiness and my health and, and living for my family, you know? Yeah. And I think that resonated with him. You, that was kind of a very interesting moment. Yeah. His uh, facial yeah, expressions he just thought, were yeah. just priceless. Yeah, they were. Um, was there any Ray Abruzzo in Little Carmine? Yeah, he, just the both great-looking guys, other than the <laughs> two obvious. <laughs> Sorry, you could cut that out. Uh, well, you know, there's always a certain certain amount, but, uh, you know, people always, when people refer to the character, they always call him, you know, retard, you know, retarded, you know, because he was referred to that way. Yeah. And, and uh, I remember one time I was walking into the set, and I was hold, reading a book, some big book, and I held the door for one of the directors, and then Terry Winter came over and he, later and he said, you know, the director came over and he said, boy, you know, the guy that plays Little Carmine's reading this, you know, big book. I don't remember which book it was. And, and Terry's like, well, you know, he's just an actor playing. Like, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you know, of course. it's like even the, so you really did get tagged with that. And, 
you know, and there were even some real fans of the, you know, the fans of the show were so mixed. Some loved all the real family stuff, you know, with yeah. Meadow and AJ. And, I'm and, encountering and a little e- bit of that myself and, right now. Right. And then there are the ones that really liked the, the violent mob yeah. stuff. And the show worked on so many levels. That's yeah. why it was so great. And sometimes he mixed the two beautifully. For instance, when he takes Meadow to college. Yeah. You know, that's that's the episode, I think, that, that just... That broke the dam that, open. And it really typifies the, the, the different levels that the show worked on. But some people would not like my character because I didn't stand up because I wasn't violent, you yeah. know, and yet, you know. No, he played a role. He was, uh, he was born into that thing and he found a way out like any of the other kids would have wanted to. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, Tony doesn't want AJ to be involved in it. No. He didn't want Jackie Jr. to be involved in it. Right, who was, right. Uh, when a, it was the appeals, uh, the, the yeah. boss of the family. Right, uh, right. Before, before yeah. Jr. took over. Right. Uh, he didn't want his son to be involved in it. So I'm with you on that. Like there's, there's, the, the stratification of fans is actually interesting, yeah. even 20 years in. I always say it's very, the, the, the mafia and the violence is very ancillary. Yeah. It's exactly. about family. It's about relationships between people. Yeah. Um, and it's about relationships between mothers and sons and fathers and sons. And, and, and If it was just a mafia show with hits and, and ripping off trucks and stuff. It wouldn't have lasted. It would not have lasted. Yeah. So you appeared in 16 episodes beginning in season four and continuing through the series finale. Right to the end. Looking back today, again, memory lane is one of Tony's lines. I'm not sure if you were in the room when he said it, but he said, remember when is the lowest form of communication? Oh, right. Were you at that table? (laughs) I might have been. So, but we're going to do that. I'm going to ask you to go down memory lane. Looking back today, encapsulate that time. What conversations, moments, experiences come to the service when you reflect? Well, I'll work backwards because I remember one of the most poignant episodes was, I think it was the next to the last episode when Christopher was killed. First of all, I remember the table read. I was sitting across from Michael. And now he had been on every episode up until that point. And I remember we were reading through the script and I'm sitting across from him and I see it right where it says, and Tony puts his hand over his nose, Christopher dies. And then I just saw Michael close the script put it aside and kind of just sit back. And I remember it was so moving to me because I realized, you know, he had been with this for about 10 years at that point. And just to watch him close that script and just sit back and realize the whole Sopranos thing was over for him. It was so, so moving. And then when we were shooting that episode, there was the, uh, his wake scene, Christopher's wake. And uh, it was very tricky because they had Benny they had prayer cards made up for Benny, so no, it wouldn't leak that it was Christopher. So, ah. so no extras or anybody would. It was, and then at Genius. the last, then at the last minute, they snuck in Michael to lay in the coffin. But everybody, if anybody was on the set, they wouldn't have known it was Christopher. So I remember sitting next to Edie, and I never had any scenes with Edie, but I just adore her and idolize her as an actress. I just think she's phenomenal. And was sitting next to her, and she just looks up. She goes, "It will never be this good again." Because the show was coming to an end. And I thought, wow, it's true. That was just, you know, the stars aligned for that show. Big time. That HBO was ready to give a, give a writer that much freedom to take a year and a half off in between things and to write a character so dark and flawed. It's pretty amazing. Was Michael emotional? Well, it was, was, he, was he stoic? Well, he knew it. He knew it wasn't like a surprise. Right. No, he, I mean, he knew it was coming and there was only one more episode anyway. So yeah. it wasn't like they were killing him in season one, you know, right, like right. poor big pussy, yeah. <laughs> you know, who knows? But it was almost, it almost seems like the way you describe it, I'm envisioning almost sort of like a catharsis. It was, it was, yeah. it was very, you know, it was, I don't know if it was just m- me reading into it, but just, I could just still see his hand closing the script, you know, for the last time. And it just hit me that. Man, 10 years of this guy's life is just changed, you know? It's over. It's powerful. Yeah, it was a powerful moment. Thank you for sharing that. 
the crux of Little Carmine's role, we kind of alluded to this a little bit a little bit ago. The crux of Little Carmine's role is his power struggle with Johnny Sack when Carmine Sr. dies. Did Little Carmine want to be boss? Was there a little bit of him? You know, I, I get, I'm very conflicted in that because I remember I had just done the first couple of episodes um, at the end of season four. And then season five is the funeral for my father. And when I read that script where I have that confrontation with Johnny Sack at the funeral, it was me, the actor, Ray, thinking, shit, man, looks like I'm going to take over the family and this is going to be a big part. You know, so there was that. But then you had to filter in that maybe Carmine, little Carmine, didn't, his heart wasn't really in it. You know, he had a good life down in Florida, yeah. you know? He was written off as not being the smartest for his many malaprops. Right. But he isn't credited enough for knowing other people's impressions of him and not being seduced by power. Exactly right. Little Carmine's Little Carmine had interests, like you mentioned, outside of OC, and that's what made him truly happy. Tony was in many ways envious, like we said. Any thoughts or reactions to that story point? That kind of gave that kind of gives, in my opinion, it kind of gives I don't look at as Car- little Carmine as the way you described him. I kind of looked at him as sort of like an angel on Tony's shoulder yeah, well, in, in a weird way. It, it's a very, one of my favorite moments is in the, another, the scene that we alluded to before at the golf course when I talk about my father, the dream I had of my father and where I give him this mellifluous box and yeah, you know, that yeah. old, and that's the one I'm talking about being happy isn't about being boss, you know, you know so, uh, but in that scene, he says something like, you know, step up little Carmine, you know, you know, you have the backing and it's just a great moment. I kind of say, you never thought you'd mutter those words, did you? <laughs> you know, and it was, and I thought that was so insightful that he really knew what Tony thought of him all those years. You know, they probably grew up together. Yeah, They've of known, course. You know, I, may, I was a little Definitely older. Definitely golf. I, yeah, I mean, I've known him for, since we were kids, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, So uh, I think he was very aware. That's what, that, to me, that, that was a key moment for me when I realized that little Carmine really was aware yeah, he was uh, smart. T- yeah, you know, again, he, you can you can butcher uh, sayings and, ma- and whatever. Well, they, well, they, they all understood. did. Yeah, they, they all you know, did. They all did. I, mine were just funnier. But, but he, he wasn't seduced by power, which no. is really hard, especially in that world. Right, he could have had it all. It's he, all. Yeah. Heir to the Thrones, very Game of Thrones before Game of Thrones. Right, right, you know? exactly. The Ben Kingsley episode. <laughs> yeah. Memories from the set of that episode, thoughts and impressions on Sir Ben Kingsley? It was so, you know, it's so funny. I was, uh, I'm, I'm Instagram friends with uh, Jackie Weaver. Australian okay. actress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wonderful, wonderful act. And she just posted a picture of a poster of a movie that she just did with Ben Kingsley. So I wrote to her, because we're in another movie called Elsewhere that hasn't been released yet, but we're both in it. So I wrote to her that I had also worked with Ben Kingsley, and I sent her that scene, and she wrote back. I thought it was the funniest thing. So I just happened to watch that scene this morning. That's, that was really a great, great day, because we shot that out here in L.A. Yeah. You know, it was one of the few times, so... Christopher's in L.A. Christopher's in L.A., I'm in L.A., we're all staying in the same hotel, we're all having dinner together. You know, and New York was kind of dissipated, and plus, especially because I would always fly in just to shoot my stuff and then leave, so I was never... I didn't socialize as much with the cast yeah. as, you know, and this really gave me a chance. It was just Michael and I, basically, and Eileen and, and, and Ben Kingsley and all just having dinner. And so it was really just, it was a remarkable, remarkable experience. And he was, you know, I had heard that he's kind of tough. You know, you have to call him Sir Ben, you know. That you, was, you have to, really. Oh, yeah. That, we got a note, call him Sir Ben. Don't call him Ben or Mr. Kingsley. Call him Sir Ben. So I was like, all right, all right you know. <laughs> That's what he wants. He's fucking Gandhi. Um, so uh, other than that, he was delightful to work with. We had 
a lot of fun. And if you watch that scene, you can see there's so much interaction, and it's just amazing. It and then it felt ad libbed, but it wasn't. It, it was, was all scripted. Every, it was Even, everything scripted. Amazing, really. And I thought Christopher and I, well, Michael and I, just had some great little looks back and forth that weren't scripted that just brought a life to it. When I watched it today, I thought, oh, that was a good, subtle moment of underlining stuff that's going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was really... And then, Lauren fucking Bacall. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, yeah. You, know, you know, I've been... Heavyweights. You know, to have and to have not. When I saw her and to have and to have not, she was 19 years old playing against Humphrey Bogart. And I think it's one of the sexiest portrayals in film. She's And then to be working with her was just... Was it all filmed in one day? It was all... Uh, I think we shot, we all stayed at the Viceroy Hotel in Santa Monica. I think we, might have been two days. Okay. Because we had the luxury lounge. Yeah. Remember where we're going? Looking the goodie bags. Yeah, and then What are they was, called again? The gift bags? Uh, yeah, yeah, gift yeah, bags. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was, that might have been a couple of days. That's funny. But it was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I remember the first time I met Lauren Bacall. She comes down, she says, is this the ugliest fucking hotel you've ever seen? <laughs> that was her, her first line. Was uh was David Chase there? No, David wasn't there. This was Matt Weiner's first script. Oh, okay. Yeah, he wrote that episode, so he was there. And I'm trying to remember who directed that episode. Maybe Alan Taylor. Yeah. Um, I heard that as the show progressed, David Chase was less and less of a yeah. He, he was, was kind of a he wasn't that much. Figure. Yeah, you'd see him at the table read. Yeah, you know, he'd always be there. And uh, anything that went on, he had his hand in. Because I remember the very first episode thing I shot was down in um, in uh, Florida. Mm-hmm at the Fountain Blue Hotel, and I had never met anybody. Think about that. I got cast in L.A., and now my first scene is a big sit-down with Tony at the Fountain Blue Hotel in Miami with maybe 200 extras and another 300 people from the hotel watching a shoot all night. So it was kind of a pressure-filled day. And I remember, I don't smoke, and I remember this, there's a scene that says he, uh, little Carmine pulls out a cigar, cuts the tip, lights it, smokes it in the scene. Now, I've been on other TV shows. They don't take the time to let you do anything like that. They don't even want you to drink coffee or, you know, they just just get the lines out. So I remember saying to the director, he really went, yeah. So I said, can I just maybe drink some espresso? They said, hold on. They called David Chase. He said, no, he wants you to take the time, cut the cigar, light the cigar, make Tony wait. And I thought, wow. And I had never smoked. You know, I'm not a smoker. So... <laughs> So when I watched that, but they edited it a little bit, but I remember doing it. I was thinking, hold, oh, the camera's rolling, and I'm cutting the cigar. I'm taking, you know, I'm lighting it. It was pretty. As you're describing it, though, you totally understand why they wanted it that totally. way. Totally. To- there was nothing. That's my point. David's chase, was, his hand was on everything, and none of it was by chance. It was by chase. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, li- I like that. I'm thinking of a moment between Tony and Ralph where Ralph sits down and it's where Ralph, where Tony tells him that he's not going to be the captain. Right. He's going to give it to Gigi. This is season oh, three before I remember your it. character was on. But there's a moment there where it's kind of like, what the hell's going on? It's, Tony's just kind of letting him ramble a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And then he, it's like record, it's like needle drop. Yeah, yeah. And then he puts the puts the knife into his stomach and it totally makes sense. I'm sure they're like, why am I, why is my character doing this? Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, you need to do this. You need to drag it out a mm-hmm. little bit so that you can build the tension or you can build the necessary feeling of like the audience going what the fuck's going on right right makes total sense and it's that kind of detail and oh, layering and texture that made the show what it is it's why we're talking about it again i just did a movie with joey pants 
Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, so we're talking speaking about movies. You also played Jennifer Connelly's brother in a great under the radar film and book. I love the book, by the way, House of the Sand, Sand and, and Fog, Fog, which Sir Ben Kingsley was also in. Yes, he was. Did you interact with him on that movie? No, because I literally I got cast at the as the brother, and then they decided that it was just going to be a voiceover. Yeah. So I literally. No kidding. Phoned in my performance. No way. Yeah, I was actually brought to the set, and Jennifer Connelly's in a, uh, a phone booth. Yeah. And I'm in a truck right outside the phone booth, and we just basically ad-libbed the whole thing over the phone. They Amazing. would just record my uh, my part of the conversation, so I literally phoned in that performance. Interesting. But I was in a movie and a TV series with Ben Kingsley. There you go. Not, not many, see, who could say that? Who could say that? You see Anybody, how I came full circle with that? Any of the 50,000 people listening could say that? No. <laughs> um... What stands out to you the most about David Chase? Well, you know, I didn't have a lot of interactions with him. You know, surprisingly, the most interaction I had with him was at Jimmy's funeral afterwards. You were there? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I flew in. Everybody was there. It was, you know, aside from close family members, I don't ever remember being so affected by somebody's death. It was, it was remarkable. And a lot of us were seeing each other and hadn't seen each other for a while. How did you find out? Uh I think I found out online or on the, you know, watching the news, it just came on. Of course, you don't want to believe it because at that point of time, there were a lot of hoaxes on Facebook. You know, it happens all the time. It's like, I don't believe it, you know, and it just seemed made up. He died in a hotel in Rome, you know, just, yeah, sure. And then within minutes, I found out it was true. It was just, just devastating. Yeah. So, but at the, after the funeral, Carl Capertorto, who played Little Paulie, uh, he and I have become very good friends. He's a terrific writer, by the way. He wrote on vinyl. He writes on the deuce now. But we'd become good friends, and we went to this, the after-funeral thing together. And somehow we just ended up at a, sitting with David Chase, and he just, he just opened up and talked so much about Jimmy and their relationship and his ideas for the last episode and him being alone, trying to get home, you know, all that. And it was just, it was all just very, very moving. I read his eulogy. Yeah. Uh, Dave, oh. You were in the room. Yeah. Uh, what a piece of writing. Oh, my God. It was... You almost couldn't believe you were really there watching it. It seemed like it was, well, of course, written for a movie. It was just so, so brilliant and brilliantly delivered. Well, the whole event was just, was remarkable. really was. What's a memory or two you can share of your time with James Gandolfini? Mm, uh, yeah, he, you know, I wrote a little, I wrote a little piece after he died, about a couple of weeks after he died, and I'll send it to you if you want. But one of my great memories is, remember when I'm trying to broker peace between uh, Phil and Tony? And I bring, it's about trucks full with drills or something, and I bring Tony to see, to Phil's house. You're wearing the trench coat. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's a, that was a white cashmere Hugo Boss coat. And I, remember, <laughs> and I remember Jimmy showed up that day. He saw me. He, he was a little late, and he showed up. He saw me standing there. He says, you should take that coat. <laughs> <laughs> Do not it give was, it back I, to I did. Wardrobe. I did give it back. Because it's like, you wear a white cashmere coat once. You can't wear it again because Vegas is always wearing that white cashmere coat. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't, but it was a magnificent coat. But when we're standing the, at the door and Butchie won't let us in, remember, he's standing at the door and he won't let Phil see us. While I'm talking and trying to get in, Jimmy had his hand cupped on my ass <laughs> for my close-up. He's standing next to me and his hand is just... Gently cupping my ass while I'm delivering these straight lines. And to me, that was, you know, it was just so him. He was, he was one of the most generous, fun. You know, he really was kind of a blue-collar actor, as I like to call it, that just happened to be the biggest fucking star in, <laughs> on the planet at the time. But he really was just like a character actor that just happened to be in that role. And any time on the set at lunch, you'd more often see him having lunch with a prop guy or 
one of the ADs or a lighting guy or a grip or something than you would one of the... He was just comfortable with everybody. And uh, that's what I take away. Did you see the show in its entirety? Yes, sure. In the pantheon of media, TV, film, written, or stage, where does it sit with you? Well, we know the term groundbreaking is used, and we touched on it before, that there were never... You never had dark characters like that being a lead in a series. But, you know, now you have Ray Donovan and all those other ones. So for that sense, it was, it was groundbreaking. And those, they really were little films every week, which was remarkable. But you, if you look at some of the scenes in that show, like if you see the, the breakup scene between Edie and Tony when they're having the big fight. Whitecaps. Home. That scene is as real as anything you'll see on stage or in any film anywhere. Anywhere. That's how good that scene is and the acting is and the direction. I think Timmy Van Patten directed that one. It's just, you, you won't see better. I'm going to say a name and you say, we're getting towards the end here, a lightning round. I'm going to say a name and you say the first word that comes to your mind. Okay. James Gandolfini. Warmth. David Chase. Genius. Tony Sirico. Tony Sirico. <laughs> little, I've heard that more than once. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's pretty little, much. Little Steven. Lots of fun. Just fun. Michael Imperioli. Terrific actor. Steve Sharippa. Funny. Since The Sopranos, you've appeared on Mad Men, Ray Donovan, Transparent, shows of that, of that nature. How much Soprano DNA is in those shows? Well, those shows in, in, specifically wouldn't happen, like I said before, without The Sopranos. On these newer shows, though, I kind of guess I'll re- restate it, like... Is there like a feeling of trying to like be at that level? Like, is there can like the is there like a soprano culture? I guess that has like infiltrated these shows, or is it are they completely separate entities? Well, I think there's maybe it's maybe early on with Ray Donovan and Mad Men, maybe yeah. that, that had to they had to be realizing inspired that, by or the realizing that the bar was now at a completely different level than yeah. where it was before, and so in that sense, people must have been conscious of what can we do. How high could we raise the level of our writing and acting and directing? And how much can we push the envelope even beyond what the Sopranos did? But it is part of the culture. I'm watching the news today. They must have mentioned Sopranos on the news today five different times just today. Like you know, references. The, references. Yeah. Oh, that's like, you know, when they're, you know. They're it's talk- like Godfather references that we yeah, take for granted yeah, now. Like the younger just, generation it, of kids that are watching this show for the first time. These references are part of their vernacular. C- completely. Completely. Um, what do you watch today that rises to the level of writing and sort of, I guess, thought and passion and uh, engagement? Is there anything out there that you're really excited by right now? Well, you know, I, only because I watched one last night. I watched The Shameless last night, and I just think what William H. Macy does on that show is just— okay. the, the acting is phenomenal. Phenomenal. And again— Tenth season, right? I, I, it blows my mind. <laughs> but again— there's a character that would not exist. How could you have a lead character True. who's a complete degenerate, alcoholic, drug addict, uh, who's completely abused his family, and yet he's the star of the show? You appeared in The Night Of, which yeah. was a James Gandolfini uh, project. Yeah, it was. Any story from that? Well, that, that he had shot the pilot yeah. before he passed away, and then there was a long period of time, and then they reshot it. John with, Turturro. With Turturro, who I thought was great in it. I was doing a play at the time, and they asked me to be in it, and I said, well, I'm doing a play, and they said, well, we'll find something they could shoot on a Monday, on a day off. So that's the way that happened. I just went in and shot that one scene, and that was it. You, uh, you, you weren't a part of it when James Gandolfini no, was No, no, no. Lots of young people will hear this, 
first time watchers of the show, people that would love to have the kind of career that you've had. Um, what do you know about acting and or the business now that you wished you'd known at the beginning? Well, it's really hard to answer because the business is completely different than it was at the beginning. It's, it's changing so much. And, and part of it is because of The Sopranos. You know, before The Sopranos, you wouldn't have big stars doing TV. But now they realize that they could get into a character and go way deeper into a character than they possibly could even in a film because it could go on for 86 hours as opposed to 90 minutes, you know, and you get to really delve into a character. So the, the business has changed and there's, there's so many different platforms where things are watched. It seems like there's much more opportunities. But because of that, there's less money to be made because it's spread out. It's, you know, it's like there's this amount of money and then it's spread out between all these shows. So I actually make less now than I did 15, 20 years ago. So I'm glad I'm at this, this age where I'm okay. But uh, it, it's tough now. Mostly what I would tell young actors is just really keep working on your craft. If you're into theater, do as much theater as you can. It's never going to hurt you. It's always going to help you and be a better actor. You know, train, go to the right teachers. You know, Jimmy and I both studied uh, the Meisner technique from the neighborhood playhouse, so we had that in common. And I didn't realize that till after he passed away. But when you see his acting, you understand that because he's so alive in the moment, you know, and that's what it's all about. What's on your plate these days? Uh, well, I just wrapped the, the final episode of Transparent. I just did a movie with, uh, with Joey Pants, interestingly enough. You know, in 1980, oh, I don't even know, 85 or something, Joey Pants was doing a play called... Uh, the Italian-American Reconciliation, written by John Patrick Shanley. And he had to leave to go do Midnight Run with De Niro. So they asked me to come in and replace Joey. And I had like four or five days to learn this whole part and take over for Joey. So it was crazy. It was the scariest thing I ever did. So my first performance, I do it and I get through it. And then there's a knock on my door after the show. Everybody's there to see Joey. But they got me instead, and I was nobody. So uh, there's a knock on the door, and there's uh, two actors standing, and they say, we, you know, we, came, we just got here from New York, and we wanted to see Joey Pants in this, and you were in it, but you were terrific. So that actor and I became friends. It's Paul Ben Victor. You know, right. So now, flash forward, I just did a movie where Joey, Paul, and I play brothers. Small world. <laughs> yeah, all these years later. And they had never met. So it was just like from that moment... I thought it was pretty interesting that almost 30 years, more than 30 years later, we're all playing brothers in West Virginia, of all places. It's crazy. Yeah. Feast of the Seven Fishes is the movie. What, is it out? No, not yet. Okay. Uh, besides work, what do you enjoy? What are you passionate about? You know, that's the other thing I would tell young actors. Find something outside of this business that you do have passion about and gives you pleasure. Because if you're putting all your pleasure in the box of getting hired, pretty miserable. So I always find something. But right now, in the last, I started riding a horse at 59 years old, and now I ride regularly. That's really, I get a lot of joy out of that. Pie on my. <laughs> yeah. Every, every time, I, it's very funny. Every time I post a picture of my horse, somebody, somebody rides something. pie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pie I'm telling you, this, this, this show is just in the blood now. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was the last great meal you had? Oh, poof. that's a good one. Wow, you ask good questions. <laughs> It seems like, well, I think just the other day I made something. I just barbecued something myself. And you cook? I, I, yeah. What's your signature go-to well, dish? My, I'll make a, I make a dish. Sometimes I'll, I, bar, you know, I live out on the beach, so I barbecue a lot. So I'll barbecue chicken, and then the next day if there's chicken left over, I make this little pasta and chicken dish that I make. And it's really simple, but sometimes it's just really good. Nice. 
Ray, it's been an honor and a privilege. Thank Thank you. Thank you, man.